Stay connected this winter with this unbeatable deal from BreezeLine. Get reliable, fiber-powered internet for just $19.99 per month with all-in pricing for two years. But that's not all. Your first month is on us. This deal gets better with a free modem and installation along with free Wi-Fi your way whole home coverage. Safeguard your network from cyber threats and keep all your devices connected and secured with this amazing offer. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires March 3rd, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. This week, Kieran Deal, Dana Schwartz, and Tian Tran join me in studio to talk about the invisible work that women do and why Charlotte's Web is kind of bullshit. Plus, Alyssa Mastromonaco calls in to discuss why likability is the least likable way to assess the women running for the 2020 Democratic nomination. And as always, the hills will die on. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. First, a little housekeeping. If you have a hill that you will die on, record a 30-second voice memo and send it to hysteria at crooked.com. You can also contact us at that email address if you'd otherwise like to get in touch. But remember that I'm not the only one who checks it. There are a few people who read the messages there. So send personalized love notes and hate mail elsewhere, please. Hi. Uh, you have a theme song, which I've told you about before, and now I associate it with you. When I get texts from you, like just on my phone, in my free time, I picture the theme song playing. So it's a, it's a shame you can't hear it on your end because it's very apropos. Okay. So here's something that we were planning on talking about for a while. And I think we keep we keep putting it off for a combination of the fact that things keep happening that we have to talk about that are more urgent, like what was happening in Georgia and now what's happening in other states. Um, And also, this is such a, I don't know, I feel like the topic is a little bit of drudgery because we spend so much time thinking about it and being annoyed by it. Um, And that's female candidate likability. Like them, love them, what do we do? Yeah. So likability is a barometer, an invisible barometer by which people measure female candidates only on whether or not they can ever be elected to office or deserve love, I guess. (laughs) Likeability, loveability. And it's something that I've noticed people are paying more critical attention to this cycle around, but they're still kind of throwing around this kind of dog whistle likability crap. Um, when it comes to candidates like Elizabeth Warren and Kamala Harris, Kirsten Gillibrand, and Amy Klobuchar. So, Alyssa, let's let's kind of break it down and talk about why this is such an irritating way to measure candidates and what about it is sexist. So let's start with what is the when's the first time that you saw likability used as a barometer for a female candidate? So, you know, it's funny when we were talking about this, I really like I wanted to think about it because I didn't want to just default to something. And so I really like put myself in a dark room and was like, what was the first time? And I remembered and I'm guessing that mm, most people like I think that I'm probably as young as it gets for someone who would remember this. But back when Geraldine Ferraro was going to debate George Bush in the vice presidential debate in 1984. So I don't remember hearing it on the news, but I remembered my mom talking about it in that the night before the debate, when all of the sort of, you know, pontificators and pundits were talking about what was going to happen, Vice President Bush's press secretary said that he thought that Ferraro's biggest thing to overcome would be seeming bitchy. Okay. And I was like, what's bitchy? You know, I was a little slow at eight. (laughs) And I'm like, what's bitchy? And my mom was like, mean, someone who's mean. And I was like, well, shouldn't presidents be mean? And, you know, then fast forward to 2008 or 2007, when I am in the Obama campaign and a person who was a man told me to be careful to not come off as bitchy 
because people wouldn't like me and then wouldn't want to work with me. And I remember then being taken back to the Geraldine Ferraro conversation. So my life is complete. It's full circle. I've connected <laughs> all of the bitch dots. Right. Connecting all the bitch dots, I think, is very important for the what modern woman. What was your woman. first time? Um, you know, it wasn't in the context of, of a physical candidate, but it was... Uh, related to Hillary Clinton. I remember being a kid during the first uh, Clinton term and Hillary obviously being a person who had her own ambitions and her own political desires and wanting to be more hands-on in the White House. And I remember her doing things. I don't remember the term likability, but I remember her responding to people not liking her by trying to act like she just loved doing typical first lady things. Like, do you remember the bake-off? The First Lady Cookie Bake Off. Oh, my goodness. That she I forgot that, about that. Hillary Clinton is the reason that there is a bake off between potential first spouses during election seasons because Hillary Clinton wanted to uh, kind of show that she was just like a regular wife. And, you know, it, it it sort of made me think about when I was thinking about likability. I'm reading this book called Down Girl, which is a feminist philosophy book on the uh-huh. misogyny. And it's it's really I do not recommend it for a beach read. It is not light reading, but it's it's really interesting. And one of the things that they talk about in the book is that um, th- that whenever a woman deviates from what the patriarchy needs her to be. She's punished, basically, when when she's not available to them or when she's not uh, when she's when she's not she doesn't defer to them. And so I think likability is an expression of and this is going to sound again, very like college freshman. But I, I think that likability describes the tension between what women are supposed to be and what these women are trying to be. And they're like, is that string between what she's supposed to be and what she's trying to be still intact? Is she enough of what we want a woman to be while trying to be what a woman is not supposed to be? And it's like this impossible bind that women are in when they want to run for office. And I think this cycle around, it's it's become kind of... I don't know. I've I've found it more annoying than ever. And I, I don't know how you feel about it, but where, where do you stand? So, well, I have to say one thing because, you know, like you and I talk a lot about nuance. And so there was something that popped front of mind when I was thinking about likability. And it was that when I was on the John Kerry for president campaign in 2003 and 2004, the biggest hurdle that he had to overcome was also likability. Mm-hmm people were like, well, no, I don't want to have a beer with him. I want to have a beer with George Bush. Mm -hmm. And so I think that like, we all need to just reassess what the fuck we mean by likability and why it maybe matters or doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. But this time I think that, you know, look, it's what is, what does the thing, the first thing I saw in this cycle, I think was that stupid article about like, is Elizabeth Warren going to end up like Hillary Clinton? Mm Mm-hmm. Like, what does that even mean? Right. They're totally different. what, (laughs) What does that even mean? They are completely different people. And I think that that's kind of my problem with the whole like media addressing the issue of likability, because what does it mean? Because Hillary and Elizabeth Warren are both very different people, save the fact they have sort of blonde hair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that <laughs> I think that's really that's really interesting. And I almost think that it's a, uh, it's a symptom of laziness and hackiness. People who are going through this dance want there to be a predictable arc to it. They want there to be a narrative to it. And they they hearken back to old narratives and old assessments and old ways that things turned out. So like they want the story to be, okay, who is the, who's the Cinderella of this can of this campaign? Who's the bitch? Who's the, this? And I think that they go back and and fill things in, in a way that's just like, it's boring and it's hacky, but it's also destructive because in creating these narratives, they limit the imagination of the voter and they decide what a leader looks like and they decide what an upstart looks like and they decide what a woman who's gotten too big for her britches looks like. And I think that that's what likability is. It's like asking the question is an implicit decision that this woman has. She's ah, something about her. Doesn't you know what? She's just a little woman, you know. Do you know what it is? It's kind of like this this field in particular. I feel like the media should just come out and be like, who's Andrea Zuckerman? Who's Kelly Taylor? Who's Donna Martin? And who's Brenda? 
<laughs> Who's the evil brunette? Who's the smart and likable but not sexy school paper editor? Right. Like, and and also, what's the winning combination? Right. Well, it, a lot of it is is people who don't ever interact with normal people trying to decide what normal people want to do, and they they're, they've decided. I think like it's funny just being from a small town and being from the Midwest, seeing what people on the coasts think of the people where I grew up. It's like. Oh, that's interesting and totally wrong. It's like when a it's like when a child who's never gone to work tries to play office. It's like, well, no, we don't send that many faxes. You know, like you, well, you don't know and, what you're talking about. Well, also, and to me, there is a chasm between relatability and likability. So, like to me, I give zero fucks if someone can drink a beer. Guess what? I can't digest beer. So that person <laughs> does nothing for me to be able to be like, oh my God, she can throw them back. No, what I'd like to do is put every single person running for president on a stage and ask them if they know what the price of fucking gallon of milk is. Mm -hmm. You know, like to me, that is what, like, I'd like to see someone be able to talk like real people talk. And guess what? Beer is not actually just code for real people talk. It's like, she's likable because she can sit down and watch a game and throw back beers with me. Well, neither well, is milk that, because I don't drink milk. <laughs> well, that's how about some bread? Okay, bread's fine. Bread and eggs. Bread okay, and eggs. bread and eggs. I think but that's like, fair. But but that's the, you know, I don't care if someone's likable and I wish that they would just stop thinking because they really don't. And this is where it is gendered. Other than my sort of, you know, John Kerry example, almost any, like any allusion to someone being likable, it's always about a woman. And why? I don't think it's, it's just, I don't think it's necessarily just about a woman. I think in the Carrie example for just, I think it's about who it's is, mostly. it's about who is more feminine. Like it's about drawing lines between who is more feminine and who's more masculine because John Kerry, like windsurfing and doing rich guy stuff and probably having soft hands. Those are things that like Americans would find. I mean, does he? Yes, Alyssa? that's okay, true. Thank you. I mean, they are. Yeah, he takes care of his hands. Right, you know? right. But but I'm saying that that when we, we say likable, it's not I think it goes beyond just man and woman. It's like masculine, feminine. It's like this yes, person deserves to be the president because he's the he's more manly than the other candidate who we're questioning the likability of. So to question John Kerry was to like feminize him a little bit, I think. I think that's, you know, that's genius. I had never thought of it that way, but you are 100% right because George Bush was the guy's guy. Mm -hmm. yeah, and, yeah. And right now, Donald Trump is a sort of cancerous version of the guy's guy. And so everybody by default is going to be more feminine than him. Thank God, because that is Thank like, God. yeah, because we, we deserve to have somebody with more feminine qualities in a position of leadership because he is, men are too emotional to lead. How can regular people... Ignore the bullshit. And and it is really here's here's an example of of something that kind of distracted me this week. Um, yes. There was some numbers came out about money that was raised by Mayor Pete versus Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris raised twelve million dollars since launching her campaign. Mayor Pete has raised, I believe, seven million dollars. Both of them are impressive. Um, but a lot of the punditry was was celebrating Mayor Pete as somehow besting Kamala Harris and the way that they talked about it seemed like, wait a second, 12 is bigger than seven. Why, why is, why is Mayor Pete being celebrated and not Kamala? And why are they being pitted against each other? And, and it just seemed like a, on its face, the coverage of it seemed like a black woman's accomplishments were being painted as lesser than a white man's lesser accomplishments. Um, but Alyssa, you had some nuance to, to add to that conversation because the, I way, the way that it was expressed was really clumsy, but it actually got at something that wasn't totally off base. Correct. And so this is why we all just have to put our little antennae up when we're looking at things. And so my first takeaway when I saw this was like, well, yeah, Kamala announced she was actually running for president in January. She had 20,000 people at her launch event and her campaign said, you know, 36 hours after the event was over that she had raised $1.5 million. So think about that, like critically, that was three months ago. She had already raised $1.5 million. She seemed like a formidable candidate 
whereas Mayor Pete hasn't even announced he's running yet. His entire campaign had been putting the narrative around him that, like, Mayor Pete just wants to get on the debate stage. He just wants to clear the hurdle of the DNC, um, you know, the DNC um what are the qualifications, which was basically that he wanted to get 65,000 unique donors. So yeah, when his number came out, it was like, what the fuck of $7 million? Right. Like his campaign did a very good, very, very good job of making the expectations so low and earnest Mm -hmm. that yes, $7 million. And the reason that as you compare it to Kamala, who, if I'm correct, is the only woman who's released her number yet, right? I believe so, yeah. Right. And the only person of color who has released her number is that she actually, people had very high expectations for her because she did so well out of the gate and $12 million is in fact a tremendous number. Mm -hmm. But like- that was that was my thing is that like her campaign actually came out with very high expectations 90 days ago mm-hmm. and he's been running so like low to the ground and behind the scenes that like it makes sense that people were like wow that was great but the way that people reported it the reporters i think were a bit ham-handed about the numbers mm-hmm. and didn't didn't talk about the fact so if you're a normal american person and you're watching the news and reporters are like wow his numbers great especially when you see kamala only raised 12 like it's just it was a not a thorough and intellectual discussion of mm-hmm. what the numbers meant mm-hmm. well there's a lot to read there's a lot to ignore And there's going to be a lot more to talk about as we plod toward 2020. (laughs) Alyssa Master Monaco. Let's plod. It's our cardio, girl. Love you. We're going to plod. Love you. Talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Stick around. There'll be more hysteria after the break. This episode is brought to you by IQ Bar. Power up your life with superior brain and body nutrition products from IQ Bar. Their plant protein bars are the perfect low-carb breakfast. Their IQ Mix zero-sugar hydration drinks replenish electrolytes. And their IQ Joe mushroom coffees will keep you focused all day long. Start each day right with IQ Bar's brain and body boosting bars, hydration mixes, and mushroom coffees. Their ultimate sampler pack includes all three. IQ Bar empowers doers with superior brain and body nutrition. All their products are entirely free from gluten, dairy, soy, GMOs, and artificial sweeteners. And today, Hysteria listeners get an exclusive offer of 20% off plus free shipping. Just text HYSTERIA to 64000. One thing I love about IQ Bar is, first of all, right now it's really dry where I am. Oh, okay. It is hard for me to stay hydrated. I just like, I'll just be going through my day and I'll be like, why am I so like... Parched. I'm parched. I'm in a bad mood. I feel like I'm going to pass out. And it's, ah, you got to drink some water. You got to stay hydrated. I really like their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks because it allows me to rehydrate myself at a time when I feel like the atmosphere is trying to take all my moisture away. Well, and sometimes you need more than just water. Sometimes you need more more than just water. I also love IQ bars because I love a portable breakfast. I love a grab-and-go breakfast, no dishes. Love something I can walk around holding and eating. I like something I can eat in my car without endangering the lives of me and every other motorist on the road. A breakfast burrito, (laughs) not, not the safest thing to eat behind the wheel. IQ bar, go ahead and do it good for you, great ingredients, helps you stay focused and alert throughout the day. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and you don't have to dirty any dishes. Refuel smarter with IQ Bar's Ultimate Sampler Pack. That's seven IQ Bars, four IQ Mix sticks, and four IQ Joe sticks. And now our special podcast listeners get 20% off all IQ Bar products plus get free shipping. To get your 20% off, just text Hysteria to 64000. Get your discount, text Hysteria to 64000. That's H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A to 64000. Message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. This episode of Hysteria is brought to you by Viore. Need the perfect Mother's or Father's Day gift? Check out Viore Performance Apparel. Drawing inspo from the coastal California lifestyle, Viore's products inspire others to live vibrant, active lives. I love that they're calling this the coastal California lifestyle. I will embrace that instead of what I thought it was, which was the I only want to wear comfortable clothes lifestyle. 
Yeah. I have to. I refuse to be uncomfortable I refu- if I want to be productive. I refuse <laughs> to be uncomfortable, but sometimes I have to look like I belong in a respectable place lifestyle, which is like yeah. Viore is perfect for it because they the clothes look fantastic. They fit great. They are so comfortable. I lie down in mine all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Especially, Erin, the women's performance joggers. They have a slim but relaxed fit and are designed with dream knit stretch fabric. I love my joggers. I've slept in mine. I've slept in them. Really? You don't get hot? No. They're very, like, on oh. a, like a couch nap. You know, you have like a, oh yeah. you've got like maybe a half an hour in the afternoon. You're like, ooh, I've got a like small break. I'm very tired. I'm going to just like lay down for 20 minutes. It's yeah. Perfect. Perfect for couch okay. napping. Joggers. I love the leggings. I can work out in them. I can do my errands in them. I can wear them with a proper top to a business meeting. It is not a problem. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you probably could. Just put yeah, a, a totally. blazer and like— Denim shirt. Denim, denim shirt, oh, blazer, yeah. leggings. So easy. 100%. And, of course, the men's core shorts. They have a classic athletic fit, falling just above the knee, while the Sunday performance joggers are made from recycled performance stretch fabric. I got my dad some men's core shorts. He wears them to mow the lawn. That's perfect. He is, like, I think my my dad is one of those people that just, like, beats the crap out of his clothes. He'll wear them until they're— they look like a security blanket that a 30-year-old yep. still has where it's just like a ball of string and you're like, um, Our dads are the same. Yeah, yeah. But um, my dad has had his for like a couple of years now and I think I, I saw him wearing them the other week when I met up with um, family on a, on a short weekend trip and they still looked great. It was like, Dad, your clothes still look new. <laughs> so fancy. Viore is offering Hysteria listeners 20% off your first purchase. Get some of the most comfy and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash hysteria. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash hysteria. You'll also enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash hysteria and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. Guys, it's been a rough year. It's going to get rougher, and you deserve a little treat for not going insane yet. You could head to the local tiki bar and tell the bartender, do your worst. But we have a better idea for you, which is pick out something from the Crooked store. The store is stocked with tons of new merch. It's perfect for the spring. And classics like the Friend of the Pod tees that you'll be wearing long after the next administration or the next fascist dictatorship, depending on how things go. Pick up a new tee for the warm weather ahead, a mug that'll remind you to stay involved this election year, or a hat celebrating your favorite pod. Go to crooked.com slash store to shop. Welcome back to Hysteria. I'm Aaron Ryan. Joining me for the panel segment of the show this week, we have three wonderful women. We have Dana Schwartz, author of Choose Your Own Disaster, among other things. Dana, here's my question for everybody this week. Yeah. When somebody calls you, how do you pick up the phone? I, I have now a pat answer that I do force of habit. Uh, I just go, hi, this is Dana. Even if it's like seamless calling and I know it's seamless, I always just do, hi, this is Dana. It's so weird because like I've never heard you say Dana in that tone of voice. Yeah. yeah. And the tone is locked Dana. in. Mm. Hi, never... this is Dana. Yeah. It's a song. I... You can write it as sheet music. You really could. There's a certain like cadence and pacing to it. I, I do that every time. I, I, I did it like consciously. I was like, I need a way to pick up the phone. Yeah. And now I do it every time. Yeah, I pick it up by usually if I pick it up, I say, what's wrong? <laughs> um, but yeah, my my boyfriend's a phone caller person. So I, I'm used to. <laughs> so like when he calls, I'm like, hey, you know, like just normal conversation beginnings. But sometimes if someone's calling, who's like a, it's like a personal. I'm like, hey, you. Oh, that's good. It's like my awkward, like, why are you calling? <laughs> hey, <laughs> you. Next, we have uh, actor, comedian, and red checkered shirt wearer who always gets terrible nicknames for me, uh, Karen. Uh, 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 this is she betrays me. This she betrays me every time. But it is time. a great red checkered it's shirt. It's really nice. This is going to be Thank our you. thing. I'm going to, like, kind of undercut your confidence you're, every single yeah, week. You're <laughs> razzing me. That's what this female podcast is about. about, It's about bringing everybody down a few pegs. I just think bringing everyone together to bring them down. Yeah, I think together at the bottom because that way we're all flying equally high. Yeah, because it's not happening outside this room. No, 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 no. Um, So, Karen, how do you answer the phone when someone calls? Usually, pretty skeptically. (laughs) It's usually like I'm usually like, 
pillow. Um, it's usually like I'm more I'm like I don't have like the subtext is whatever you want. I don't have that money. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have it. I don't have a debt collector. It's like that. Hello. Who are you calling for? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> Who is this? Not on it. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. <laughs> and third and uh, totally not least, actor, comedian, <laughs> D'Andre. <laughs> totally not least. <laughs> I was going to say last and not least, and I said third and not least, as though every list only has three items in it. <laughs> I'm really batting a thousand today. I've been no, talking too much this week. <clears throat> Tian, how do you answer the phone? Um, I mean, I, I, I know myself and I'm very... I, I'm positive forward, so I, I usually answer like, hey, hello, hi. What do you all three? <laughs> you're like a... Like Which a, one do you want? You're like a puppy running to the door <laughs> when like, you've been gone for five minutes. <laughs> I can't wait to see you. So your subtext is like, oh, you called. Yes, yes. I'm like... You I, called me. Oh, my God. Someone's thinking about me. Mm, that's sweet. Thank goodness. That's sweet. Uh, well, that sounds like a very positive like person to hear on the other end of the phone. So thank you for being the only positive person in this room. I'll try. We've just got skepticism <laughs> and and like professional, like cold professionalism. Cold, distant professional. Cold, distant professionalism. Well, she goes up at the end. Yeah. So that's Hi, like this is Dana. Dana. It's like it'll um, be the same I every might, time. I might offer you something. You know what I mean? <laughs> upspeak. A little bit of upspeak. Well, let's get on to the topic of today, which is the amount of emotional and, and garbage work that women have to do all the time, every day, in all contexts. And by women's work, I don't mean like cleaning because I mean whatever we're, we're not talking about that today um, I mean sort of emotional labor that we always perform in the context of relationships in conversations I'm also talking about the type of busy work that we are asked to perform in offices and in professional settings and I wanted to talk about how that kind of drains us of energy that we could be using for better things. Um, so first of all, I'm going to throw this question to the table. Um, have you all had a relationship with someone where you felt like you were taking on more work than your partner? Domestic work? No, because I'm, I'm terrible at that and I'm very messy. And so I, I do feel like I've, I've been with partners who are slightly neater and, and will, will take that on just because they don't want to live in squalor, in squalor with me, but I apologize to everyone I've ever dated. But also, I I have noticed that I think in terms of like the money and time you take for like basic grooming and appearance things, mm-hmm. which is like the amount of things that I did fundamentally to look human and like acceptable was like so many hundreds more dollars and hours of time than whatever they did. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, I don't think people always understand in a workplace what a woman has to do to look professional. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great point. And it sort of reminded me of that scene in season one of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel when she uh, goes to bed with her husband with full makeup on yeah. and then waits until he's asleep and then like goes into the bathroom, takes it all off and then wakes up before him the next morning, puts on a full face of makeup, puts perfume on and then pretends to be asleep before he wakes up so that he can think that that's how she always looks. And I think that a lot of it is a lot of the work that women do. I know it's heartbreaking. Oh, my God. That's yeah. it's heartbreaking. Oh my God, oh. Straight people make it hard. <laughs> but a lot. And of I was like, like, oh, the 50s. <laughs> oh, I mean, but a lot of it, it even outside of the context of rom- romantic relationships, a lot of work that women do is sort of like invisible. And sometimes you find yourself. Um, I think women find themselves being um, accused of or not appreciated as someone that's doing that much work. Um, Kieran, have you had an experience where you felt like you've been carrying the brunt of the emotional workload? Yeah, I've definitely found myself in a situation where it's like I I was like in the kitchen more and, you know, kind of kind of doing the teasing out of what's wrong but all of the all of those relationships fail mm-hmm. uh pretty pretty spectacularly so um <laughs> you know yeah i but i i think that i think it's interesting to be in a moment where where you find it, it's almost like a frog in water it's mm-hmm. it, you know, like and the water gets hotter and hotter and it's like so you don't start there but then there's a certain point where you're like wait how did i get here like mm-hmm. why am i like in the kitchen for two hours doing a thing <laughs> while someone else is on the sofa what am i my mother right <laughs> yeah yeah oh. and then you get to a point where you're finally boiling and you're like 
um, I am not getting hummus for you. And you're like, why are you mad about yeah. hummus? Why are you and it's mad like, about hummus? No, I'm not mad about hummus. I'm mad about the last six months where all I do is get the hummus. You know, it's it's and it's like it becomes this like blow up over something that seems really trivial, but actually isn't. But just to, to kind of zoom out. Um, into more like friendships mm-hmm. and interactions that are professional. Mm-hmm. Tian, have you ever found that you have friendships where you are carrying most of the emotional workload? Yeah, I've had some like creative collaborations that I used to have with like cis straight men that I now no longer have because it reached a point where, you know, we would be, it was in the days of like post-college and everyone was trying to, we were trying to do like indie sketch shows. So like you needed Mm. to go reach out to a place and like book a theater and, and uh, do tech and like schedule all of that. And all of that work without fail always fell to the women of the group. Mm -hmm. Like the men would never even think to be like, oh, I'll email the theater and try to set up a tech time. Like, that would have been insane to them to do, Mm -hmm. for them to do. And so it was like, we were always doing that, the women of the group. There was three of us, and we were always doing that. I hope they're listening. Um, (laughs) And, yeah, and I know, and now I... Like, I don't have that partnership anymore because we tried to work on something together, uh, just the two of us, and it turned into, like, me constantly hounding him to meet for... And maybe this is just a maybe it was just a bad collaborator, mm-hmm. but constantly hounding him to like show up on time mm-hmm. and like do these things. And I would have to like instead of him taking the initiative to, you know, uh, reach out to someone, find scheduling, mm-hmm. audition people like I would have to tell him to do that work. Mm. Right. And, you know, it's interesting. I was listening to uh, a Harvard Business Review podcast yesterday, which is insane. But they have a podcast called Women at Work. And there's a lot of uh, they have a lot of like academics come in and talk about issues like this. And one of the things they were talking about was uh, what's called non-promotable work, which is work that doesn't really show in. It's not really related to the job you're supposed to be doing. And it's not going to get you a promotion. You know, Mm. it's the sort of thing like volunteering for a committee, bringing snacks to the meeting, making coffee for everybody. And there's actually been research that has found that women get asked to do non to volunteer for non-promotable work or expected to do non-promotable work more than men. And women of color especially get asked more to do non-promotable work and to do work that's like busy work and that, yeah, that, that doesn't lead to many like workplace outcomes. And it takes away energy from, you know, work that you're supposed to be yeah. doing. You know, I find it interesting in a larger conversation about feminism and sexism when people are like, oh, but like not all stereotypes are negative, but there's still this like really pervasive stereotype about women that women are like the competent put together one. Like think about like yogurt commercial women where like Mm -hmm. the man is like on the couch and he's watching football and he's a slob and doesn't know like what laundry detergent to use. And the wife is like, honey, use Tide or like whatever. Like In in a yogurt commercial. (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy. I was like a yogurt commercial is my life goal. (laughs) Like I look at those and I'm like, yeah. Yeah, let's go. Get it, it, Greek yogurt. Who's that hot guy? Yeah. But also it definitely is that yo play where like the husband like looking for dessert and she's on having you seen that yeah, one yeah. she's on the phone he's she's like I have banana cream pie and the husband's like where and he like doesn't notice it's yogurt <laughs> this is a husband who can't read yeah. or he's got yogurt blindness yeah. it's a yeah. condition <laughs> that, that affects a lot mostly men mostly men about yeah. 2% of the male population actually has yogurt blindness and it's not funny Dana it's not funny they can't see yogurt in the fridge they can't read the flavors if they can see it it's 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 serious it's crippling it's yeah crippling. for you to bring it up is pretty insensitive yeah, yeah. really insensitive let's hope there are no men <laughs> but it's like that stereotype that women that women are like competent in the ways that men aren't is still like weirdly and pervasively used against women that it's like oh of course you'll be the ones who can like mm-hmm. make the arrangements because i'm a a dumb guy i'm just too busy doing like running the whole company yeah well i'm i'm so dumb that i can only run the whole company yeah like that, that's the thing <laughs> yeah. that didn't i make, can't make the coffee yeah i can only i can only make trades on other people's money <laughs> yeah. like it doesn't make any sense right that like women are smart enough to like be the only ones who know how to use the coffee machine but not smart or capable enough to do meaningful work. Mm-hmm. I've had it where the, my labor's been incredibly exploited. Like, you know, during a film project or something, it's like just there's an expectation. I think that I think that film can be incredibly exploitative just generally, specifically film. And so it's like 
but but some of those companies were run by women, mm-hmm. you know, so it's like anyone can be a dick. Mm-hmm. That's, that's true. That's true. In yeah. this day and age, in this Me Too era, we can all be. <laughs> Do you get flashbacks to like fourth grade group projects where like, God bless, like the oh. the type A girl who wants an A and just like everyone around her not doing, or is it, am I projecting? No, no, no. no. I was that girl. Yeah, I was me too. just like, oh, just let me do it. Yeah, and same. Like the, oh, just let me do it. That attitude went all the way into college. I remember I was on a, my senior year, like Spanish oral exam. The teacher put me with a fucking football player <laughs> and he was just like not doing anything. And I was like, oh, just let me do it. And that was probably what he wanted to do. Yeah. He was not a dumb guy. He was smart enough to get me to do all the work. Aaron, you know how to make the coffee. I'm too dumb to figure it you out. You know how to make the coffee en espanol, por favor. <laughs> en espanol. That's an old Cosby joke that he talks about. Like it's a it's a very famous old bit that he does where he like he his wife asks him to make the breakfast for the kids and he goes down and then he he like makes this like I don't remember what he did. I think he did ice cream. Oh, that's dairy. And he like he he feeds them dessert basically. So mm-hmm. they're eating it and they're having such a good time. Then she comes down. She's like, "What's going on?" And then she sent him back up to bed, which is like exactly where he wanted to be in the first place. Uh-huh. Like like delivering incompetency. It's a very funny bit, but it's like, but it's that idea. I feel like my dad will do that. Mm-hmm. You know, he'll be like, "My cat follow the recipe. I'm too dumb dumb." <laughs> it's just like, oh my god. No, you're not, guys. You're not. You're way less dumb than you're trying to trick us into but thinking yeah, that you are. But yeah, I feel like group projects totally taught me, definitely as like an overachieving young person, the wrong message. Where it was like, if you want a job done right, do it yourself. Yeah, and then that can lead to a sort of burnout, right? If you're putting all your energy into these things that don't really produce results that are directly related to the work you're supposed to be doing, then you're not able to do your work as well. And that's something that I've I've found is uh, is something I need to consider as I'm like like loading my plate with more and more things. If I mm-hmm. spend my time doing stupid emotional labor bullshit, I just can't do it. Like I can't I can't be involved with it at all. I have to just totally cut it off. And what's with the this? I I think another part of emotional labor is the fantasy is that it's also invisible. Mm-hmm. That that even compounds the idea that we're not getting credit. Where it's like the perfect woman, like the perfect like Stepford woman situation. It's like she's perfectly groomed, perfume, and like her suit is everything's pressed and like the suit is pressed perfectly and like breakfast is ready and coffee is made and like everything's done. There's like this um facade that it was all just like done by invisible elves and that it was easy. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Totally. So like part of it, it's really insidious that like you don't get credit for it because also part of the work you're doing is making it look like you didn't do anything. Right. That's an additional layer of work. I was just thinking. It's like those Cinderella birds. Yeah. 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 It's like all those birds and rodents. It's the rodents. A lot of rodents. Which mice did it. Would you let mice do your hair? I would. You know, if they were good at it. Yeah. Yeah. If they were mice. Birds, good at it and bring it like, in. Yeah. Spiders, I don't give a fuck. You I don't let do spiders it. do it. No, 100%. Yeah. Well, that's a step too far. I but would, are they good at it? If they're good at it. Yeah. I mean, come on. Okay, fine. <laughs> like, what about like Charlotte with that web? You know? Oh, you're yeah. right. That you're right. Come and on she's now. voiced you're by right. Julia Roberts in the new adaptation. Yeah. I spent Talk <laughs> about emotional labor. <laughs> Charlotte just. Oh my God. That story <laughs> is a story of emotional labor. Right? The spider is She dies. She dies at the end. She fucking dies for this pig. Yes, and she works every night to just have like a little fun message that picks up this male pig's confidence. Oh my God. So he doesn't die. So he does not get slaughtered. And then she's like, yo, I'm really tired. I just got to have these babies now before I die. Uh, That's the story. She she does emotional labor for a man, has babies, and dies. And she's she's smart enough to spell. We all that spider. Oh my God. Fuck the system. That story is really weird because why would, even if the the web says like, this is some pig, why would anyone still be impressed with the pig and yeah. not like Jesus Christ, that spider can write? Because yeah. that's invisible work. That yeah. is, well, that's, vis- that's an example of visible work being credited to a man. Yeah. <gasps> we have just totally... Wow, we guys, just, we have to whoa. write this, this, I think like this New, is a New Yorker shout piece. <laughs> yeah, like, this is a think piece. <laughs> this is at very least an Insta story. 
I think. I think. Okay, yes. Insta story, maybe. <gasps> no, Aaron, you don't get paid for Insta stories. Just write this and submit it to a place that motherfucking pays you for your work. Oh, they could make a movie called like feminist retelling of children's stories that fucked us up. <laughs> like, that would be one. She no. did do all the work, though. She did. She did the writing. She and nobody s- was ever like, what a dope Guys, writer. You know, she also stayed up all night. She would do it. The third it's, a McSweeney's, it like, it's a McSweeney's piece that's like feminist retelling yeah. of childhood. Okay. Yeah. Well, this has become a writer's room. Yeah. I, but Tian, I was thinking as we were talking about like a lot of this is like very based on heteronormative yeah. and cis concepts of what women are. And it's they sort of those ideas haunt all of us. But I wonder how emotional labor plays out in the context of same sex relationships mm-hmm. between women. I'm I'm in a really great relation. I love my girlfriend. No, I'm in a great relationship now where it's been 6 years and I, we have a very we're very good at talking to each other. We could I could argue that we both do too much emotional labor for each other. Oh. <laughs> oh. Yeah, we're 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 working on our emotions a lot, but in the past I've had like partners and girlfriends who I have I have fallen into being I think because like certain characteristics are tied to certain like femininity and masculinity and like I maybe the more femme presenting one would take on some like more emotional labor in one particular relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think it's like it's it's depend you know, it depends. Mm -hmm. Like I think those heteronormative standards still fall on us and like. I know a lot of same-sex couples where the pattern of, like, one who's a bit more, like, one who takes on more masculine traits is the one that's, like, you know, not thinking about the party planning or mm-hmm. the the cooking or, like, making sure that everyone's comfortable hosting. Like, you can tell, like, those characteristics are still very real and gender roles are very pervasive. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so interesting. The same way I think that, like, my phone voice is just, like, an imitation of adults that I've mm-hmm. heard. Like, I do feel like sometimes people, like, play act at relationships that mm-hmm. they see mm-hmm. in media. Or in, in, and it's sort of like if the wife is the, you know, one cooking and cleaning and is sort of like... The, the sitcom housewife and the husband's always on the couch. Like, that's something that people subconsciously or consciously imitate. Mm-hmm. It's probably also how you grew up, yeah. what you saw and what was modeled in your home and then your reaction to it. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you grew like I grew up where my mom did all the work and I was like, that's fucked up. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do that. So it's like a very conscious. That was a very conscious decision. I do have a friend who's a construction worker, like a really tall, big dude. Wife works for Apple and they're like, so she's in San Francisco a lot of the time. So he has this like truck and then he has this baby <laughs> and he's always like he's always like going to the preschool to pick up the baby. He's always taking the the kid to the doctor's office and he he's telling me constantly there's so much curiosity around him they're like who is this guy yeah, somebody's the, babysitting yeah exactly yeah, a was man like, with a child it's literally like every day like people are like every day he shows up clean so i guess it's fine like people are like, <laughs> like this kind of yeah people are it's like it's still it's like almost an oddity yeah. that he's like such a present dad that's such an interesting point that you bring up because i i really hate when people describe dads watching their own children as babysitting. Yes. It's yeah. your child. Nobody's like mom's babysitting the child now. I think that's another type of labor that women are expected to perform, that oh, men yeah. are just not expected to perform. And that seeps into all these different areas of women's lives. Like professionally, women have difficult time advancing. Uh, equal payday is a thing partly because women who have children experience economic mm-hmm. consequences because they're expected to care for the children and they are the ones who ask for people at work to to allow them to leave early. You know, they're the ones that 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 responsibility falls on. And dads don't experience a similar, similar thing. And I just I wonder, as like the years have passed, have you guys noticed this improving at all? Or does it seem like it's just the same, like the Mr. Mom kind of trope? I feel lucky at my workplace, Entertainment Weekly, we have a lot of women and multiple pregnant women now uh, and and one who just gave birth. So I feel like I'm in a noticeably good environment mm-hmm. for women. And like, so that's something that I've clocked where I'm like, oh, this is good. That's great that I have now three women who are superior to me in the workplace who all are publicly young mothers mm-hmm. and like talk about their children. And that's something that I hadn't experienced 
up until now. And I'm like, that's a good thing. Right. I get to notice. Right. Well, it's such a it's such an economic to to choose to have children is such an economic decision as well as like a Mm -hmm. personal decision. Like I'm, you know, working in a writer's room. I have like I'll have like three intense months of work where I just I can't miss any days. I can't call off. I just I am owned by the show that has hired me. Mm -hmm. That's that's it. And then I'll have like a few months off and then I'll. So it's like for somebody like me who has like a schedule that's way more permissive than the average American woman and who has a lot more economic freedom and really good WGA insurance, it's like still a fucking hard decision. Like there's part of me that's like, okay, the age I'm at, I should start thinking about this, but it's so, I don't want to be like punished. You know, I don't want people to not want to hire me because it's like, well, she got pregnant the one time she could do it again. You know, <laughs> I mean, and it's like, a, it's a dumb thing to be afraid of, but it is something that crosses my mind for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've had so many friends who have had this situation of going to work and being like, when do you tell? Like, when do you tell mm-hmm. them that you're pregnant and when will they start taking work away from you? Which is like, it shouldn't be that way. Yeah, Like they should absolutely still be able to work as much as they want and like make the decisions on when they should stop. Whereas like, yeah, I'll have friends who really just are like, yeah, I'm not going to tell. I'm just going to try to go. You're just going to show up. I'm just going to show up one day with a baby baby and (laughs) and try to get away with it. I'm just getting fat in this one area of my body. (laughs) I love the way if you're growing a person inside of you, I think you should just be able to like chill for three years. Yes. (laughs) And like get paid. Like get paid the whole time you have the child. Yes. Then it's like went after your body gets torn apart by that child. And then for like a year or two afterwards is like, you know, just relief, just <laughs> fucking relief for continuing the human race. Yes. <laughs> Am wow. I the only one who thinks this way? I don't feel like this is an extreme perspective and there's a lot of silence in this room. I think, and no, I feel, I think, I think it's no. a, I think it's a very, I think it's American society is depressingly far from being there. Yeah. Like, I yeah. think we would all love for that to happen, but like, I'm just imagining if like a presidential candidate for 2020 were like, I think people, I think we're going to, let's get fucking Scandinavian guys. Like yeah. maternity leave yeah. for like a year. Yeah. It's, it, we're one of three countries in the entire world that doesn't offer government sanctioned paid maternity leave. Like what the fuck? And that's bad for young families. That's yeah. bad for, that's bad for men and young yeah. parents, just mm-hmm. young parents in general, because of the, if you don't, because this is another thing I was thinking about with emotional labor. It's like, if you have a community, like now American society is so individualistic, like you don't live close to your, I mean, maybe some people do still, mm-hmm. but it's like, like, I don't live close to my parents. Um, whereas like, imagine if you live close to your parents and you have children, then it's like, you have free babysitters. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Who are yeah. like so excited to see your family like so if you live in an extended family situation it's like then somebody can do the cooking somebody can do the cleaning it's like a little bit more of like you can toss the baby around like a football (laughs) like that's what you do when you have you know an extended family situation and then it's a little bit more of people were meant to live in communities Mm -hmm. you know so it's like one of the things I think about sometimes with like immigrants it's like in India, it's a much bigger, it was like a much bigger extended family situation. So it's like, even if women did all the work or like when my mother moved to England, all the kids did all the work, it was still like three or four sisters. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. In a in a big situation. So the mom comes home, she doesn't do, my grandmother would come home and it was like, she had tea made for her. She like, she took a nap or whatever. Mm-hmm. But when my mom moved to Florida, it's just the three of us. It's mm-hmm. just my dad, my mom and me. And so she ends up doing like all of that labor yeah. mm-hmm. herself. Cause I guess I was very lazy. <laughs> um, that's it's like, as I'm talking, I'm like, Oh, oh realization. I am the one at fault. I here. am a monster. Okay, <laughs> cool. Well, that's a really great point. I think that, that people used to live in bigger extended family situations in the U S and in other parts of the world, people still do. And that gave me an idea. I think we need to, to make a Tinder for extended families. So just hear me out. I thought, oh, you were gonna, I thought you were going back to commune on the lake. No, no. We talked about your commune, commune on the on lake yes. one time. Yeah. Yeah. It's women, women only commune on the lake, yes. 100%. Yeah. But I think for people in big cities, like there are plenty of people who are like empty nesters whose kids moved away, who don't really come back and hang out. And there are us who moved here who aren't anywhere near our family. So what we need That's actually a really good idea. is like yeah. a Tinder for like empty nesters who are like, I really want to have somebody over for Sunday dinner. And a you're t- like a Tinder for family, for family, family, yeah. Tinder. family, Tinder, 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 Tinder. That sounds, that sounds, that sounds, that sounds really like a bad. Sex thing. Yeah. 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 I bet if we had a dictionary yeah. that we would find something. That's 
that's when like someone fingers you and fucks up and <laughs> I got fingered and I, uh, I just really missed all the whole Me Too extension. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. Oh God. This was so wholesome. And I then know. It, then it became H O L E some wholesome. Uh, Don't say fingered. Don't. Say, I won't. I won't. I will never say that word again. But I think like family Tinder. Yes. Yeah. Family Tinder. Tinder. Where we but, name TBD. Yes. Exactly. You know, this is not like childcare, but there is that thing where young people who like graduate from college who are like don't have a lot of income live in old like retirement homes and communities mm-hmm. because the it's cheap and like there's all the facilities there and like old people need young energy to like keep it live and yeah, yeah. you know lively and young people get to like live there like either free or super super cheap uh-huh. and it's like a, a good like communal have you done that no, oh, I didn't I would know do it exists. Well, I think like that that brings up a really like interesting point. Like, I love old people. Um, elderly women and emotional labor um, is a really interesting topic too, because elderly women grew up in a time where even more was expected of them, yeah. and even and they were less allowed to express themselves in their own needs. And so, I think it's interesting that there are these you know there are communities of people now who kind of don't have anybody to do things for, and I, I think that that is an important, uh, it brings up an important point, which is that if you have an opportunity to like hang out with elderly women who are not related to you, do it because they're, they're awesome and they're super fun. If you um, have a nursing home in your town, you can go talk to a volunteer coordinator and ask if there's somebody who like has, you know, can't really see anymore and want somebody to read to them. Like I used to work in a nursing home when I was in high school and they, and college and they, um, they're just the best. And that's like one way to sort of, you can do emotional labor for somebody who is kind of already paid into the emotional yeah. labor bank. Pay it back, invest yeah, in yeah. Yeah. Emotional invest. labor socialism. Right, yeah. right, exactly. It's and social security. The, it's going to run dry. <laughs> <laughs> there won't be enough for all of us. Totally. Um, so what is something, what, what's something that we as women can do to interfere with the cycle of us performing emotional labor and rechanneling our energy into something that's more worthwhile. What's something that, and here's something that I will will say, just I'll answer my own question. Um, I think something that's really important is that if you are, um, if you're somebody that's doing things a lot for somebody and you don't think that they know, just tell them. Mm-hmm. You know, I think mm-hmm. that like keeping things secret and silent are is just, bur- it's burdening you. It's, it's bringing the temperature of the water up. So you, the frog, are getting closer and closer to boiling. Mm. I think the best thing that you can do is just be open about the fact that you're frustrated or you feel as though you're doing more than you should be doing. Uh, whether or not that's at work, you can just take your boss aside and be like, look, you know, I volunteered for a lot of these committees or you've asked me to do this a lot. And I would just like maybe next time to have somebody else do it just because I've been doing it a lot. You know, there's, I have a lot of important work. I would like to do that. So that's, that's my advice. Yeah. I would say something similar, which is that like, if you're, if you think the illusion of, of it being invisible is part of the, the gift that you're giving, you can fix that. Mm-hmm. You don't need to hide the work. You don't need to like duck, be a duck mm-hmm. where it's like smooth on the surface and working really hard underneath. I think that's a fantasy that a lot of women want to play into. Ducks are fantasies? <laughs> yeah. What? Swan. What? That's crazy. But right, what's a... Just, no, no, I think that's no, a great, that's a really great analogy. Great. Yeah. Oh, Myth yeah. busting today. No, I'm just... I'm like, <laughs> I don't animal know. Heavy well, then I realized, I was like, I don't know that heavy. much about like duck anatomy. No, like, they are doing a ton yeah, of work. Yeah, they're doing a ton of work. So like if that's part of the fantasy, you can dispel that and also just then like fight your instinct where if I know a lot of women be included are perfectionists and like want if they're like oh well the coffee hasn't been made yet or like some little task hasn't been done yet you can just like fight that and have your internal temperature rise slightly and get used to it a little bit and be okay with things being imperfect Mm -hmm. and not doing that thing okay Karen how about you you can be the one to play dumb Oh. Oh. Be an wow. idiot. That's Karen's advice. Be dumber. <laughs> Try less hard or be like, what? 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 I don't get it. And then somebody will just be like, well, I'll do it. Blah. Like you with cleaning. Yeah. You're, that's, wow. you're kind of doing Except it. Except like, I really don't pe- play dumb. I just, I don't have an iron. Right, right. But I'm saying you were saying you're very messy. Yeah. But it's like technically you could be not messy. Yeah. I think then it plays back into what I'm saying. It's like, I don't mind. Like, I don't mind my clothes on the floor. Right. And so it's like, well, if if you mind, like you can clean. Yeah. So that's a little bit of exactly what I'm talking about. You're like, well, yeah. 
Yeah, I can't see. I'm closed blind. I can't yeah, see. I'm yeah, closed blind. I'm closed blind. I can't read them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Tian, what do you think? I would say that um, if you can and you have the ability to surround yourself with people who appreciate that work and who also take on some of that work, sure. yeah. then you can start to like spread out the emotional labor that mm-hmm. is passed around. Like I feel very lucky and blessed that like most of the folks that I've, <laughs> I now exclusively am friends with women and queer women <laughs> <laughs> or those are the people that I hang out with the most. Mm-hmm. And I find that to be that like, it's the most uh, uh, nurturing and also satisfying, less toxic relationship mm-hmm. is because I'm surrounded by people who are thinking about that work as not being invisible. And we're like um, very thankful for each other and showing appreciation. Mm-hmm. So if you can show yourself. And that can come in any relationship. Yeah. It's like, and I think you can improve upon that. And that was probably better advice than playing dumb. And that's another tip that I want to add in and, and, piggyback on is like then thank the the people in your yeah. life for doing the labor because there's a lot of people doing doing labor that probably isn't being noticed and it's on all of us to be like hey you did that yeah. thank you great job yeah yeah I do want to say that I think that while men boys and men are socialized to perform less emotional labor I think that I've seen that there's a certain group of men there's some men who really want to do better mm-hmm. and that are trying like we get emails from male listeners all the time like dads and people that are just like yeah. oh it's cool and it's like you know I think that that if you're a man and you're listening you know this isn't this isn't us like scolding you this is us just being like you can you can be better you know yeah. and and notice the things that the women around you are doing and appreciate the things that the women around you are doing and if you notice that there's something that can be done and then try try doing it yourself and see how that feels. It actually might feel good to like do something for other people if that's not typically what you do. So uh, unfortunately, that is all the time we have for this conversation. We have to take a break. When we come back, the hills that we will die on. Donald Trump can't leave the courtroom, so just to rub it in a little, Pod Save America is going on tour. He's probably asleep right now, but if he were conscious, he'd be so, so jealous. The Democracy or Else tour begins in Brooklyn on June 26th, followed by Boston on June 28th. Then we go to Madison, Phoenix, Ann Arbor, and Philly. See all the tour dates and get your tickets now at crooked.com slash events. All right, people, we all know the stakes of the 2024 election are high, whether it's keeping the Senate, taking back the House, or stopping Republicans at the state level. If you're ready to make a real difference, sign up for Vote Save America's 2024 volunteer program. And just to make it interesting, we're pitting you against each other. Vote Save America will sort you onto a team east or west, and you'll compete with a community of other volunteers to maximize your impact on the ground with opportunities tailored to you and the causes you care about. The team with the highest volunteering staff could secure the biggest prize of all, the continuation of American democracy. Head to votesaveamerica.com slash 2024 now and get ready to organize or else. This message has been paid for by Vote Save America. You can learn more at votesaveamerica.com. And this ad has not been authorized by any candidate or candidates committee. Guys, it's been a rough year going to get rougher and you deserve a little treat for not going insane yet you could head to the local tiki bar and tell the bartender do your worst but we have a better idea for you which is pick out something from the crooked store the store is stocked with tons of new merch it's perfect for the spring and classics like the friend of the pod tees that you'll be wearing long after the next administration or the next fascist dictatorship depending on how things go pick up a new tee for the warm weather ahead a mug that'll remind you to stay involved this election year or a hat celebrating your favorite pod go to crooked.com store to shop Welcome back to more Hysteria. We've reached the end of the show almost. This is the part where we take adamant stances on things that don't really matter. The hills will die on. Let's get started with a listener hill. Hi, Hysteria. This is Sarah from San Antonio, Texas. The hill that I will die on is when you make a plan with someone and then they show up super early um, and text you and say, hey, I'm here as though you should also magically be there. If we say let's meet (laughs) at 7 and you show up at 6.30 and text me that you are there, I should not have to feel bad that I am not also there because we said seven. So show up on time, or if you get there early, read a fucking book or something. Yeah. That is my hill. Uh, uh, 
<laughs> a lot of nods around the table for that wow. one, Sarah. Everybody seemed pretty much on well, that hill. I'm I'm the I'm the person who always shows up early. I'm just a pathologically early person to plants usually. And I will say, usually I do have a book and I don't mind. I just want to let you know that in case you were like, oh, well, I don't want to be too early. I'll circle the block a few times. Uh I'm just texting you to let you know, but no (laughs) pressure. Don't worry. I do have a book. Oh, Dana, well, you and Sarah maybe would not be compatible as as hangout pals. Um, Okay, who wants to go first this week? I'm not going to do it because mine's stupid. Um, (laughs) Mine is so stupid that I'm going to start because I can't can't follow like any serious one. Mine is about a movie. Um, The movie is The Nightmare Before Christmas. And my hill is that the couple, Jack and Sally, are terrible and people pretend it's a love story. And I just don't understand it fundamentally. It really confuses me and weirds me out. In case you're not familiar, the movie is about uh, a skeleton pumpkin king named Jack Skellington who wants to... uh, experience the joy of Christmas. Because it's a puppet one? The Tim it's, Burton it's puppet. Claymation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah and he, he accidentally sees Christmas and is like, what is this joy? I want to experience it for myself. So he tries to culturally appropriate Christmas um, and he tries to kidnap Santa and tries to become Santa. It spectacularly goes up in flames and the only person who saw that coming is like a, a Frankenstein woman named Sally who's in love with him this whole time. He ignores her this whole time. And then after he's exploded and like literally bombed down by the government. Um, I swear to God, it's a really weird movie for ruining Christmas. He is like, I shouldn't have done Christmas. You were right. Also, I love you. Also, we're a couple now and we're perfect together. And the last song is a love song. And I'm like, (gasps) Jesus Christ. And like my and like hot topic teams like who love my chemical romance, like also are like, yeah, Jack and Sally, like my love story, like couples like think it's cute. But like, no, he ignores her the entire time. She warns him that this Christmas is a bad idea. He, like, fully is like, yeah, yeah, whatever. They never have a conversation. She pines after him. And then finally at the end, he's like, yes, I love you. And so it's nice that, like, a weird, quiet girl who was in love with, like, the popular jock boy does get, like, the boy to love her. But they are a terrible couple. And nowhere in the movie do they, like, have a a love story at all. Mm -hmm. And it's really weird to me that this love story exists. And I just, (laughs) whenever I see, like, like, goth couples who are like into that it makes me really uncomfortable not because you're goth like be goth that's great I I love my chemical romance just don't don't like Jack and Sally as a couple (laughs) my favorite thing about The Nightmare Before Christmas I love that movie even though I have to not think it's one of those movies you have to not think about it it's aesthetically really like fun yeah and the the music is fun and one of my favorite things to do around the holiday season is to talk like (laughs) I'm in the movie and like (laughs) look at me I'm grocery shopping. <laughs> like, narrate my life in the Jack Skellington voice. Um, you guys are, you know, you're welcome for not doing that at all over Christmas this year because I do that a lot. Uh, I feel like I just got, like, I have to, like, the color has to, like, I have to, the blood has, I got really heated. I didn't expect <laughs> to get so passionate. I mean, I would go one step further and just, like, all those, all cartoons and all those films don't need love interests. Yeah. They simply don't need them. They could it just be me, friends. They could just be friends. It makes, it makes me so mad when like children's, and then I don't typically, I don't think Nightmare Before Christmas is a children's film, but it's like a younger yeah, film. Yeah, true. And I just don't, I don't think you need, like, I just watched Wreck-It Ralph for the first time. <laughs> don't ask me why. Is there a love story in that? <laughs> yeah, there is. There is like a really bizarre forced one between Jack McBrayer's character and Jane Lynch's character. Weird. The tiny hammer uh-huh. guy. And the tough and, lady. And the tough lady. And they just force this romantic relationship between them. And it's completely unnecessary. Yeah. So people I'm, like love. People like love. Well, I will say the better hammers. I, I weirdly, <laughs> I really like the movie Corpse Bride, another Tim Burton oh. stop motion, and that one has a love story, but it like makes sense, like they're on equal footing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so if you want a love story, go to Corpse Bride. No one does. Everyone goes to Nightmare Before Christmas. Corpse Bride. Not a love Corpse story. Bride. Yeah. Hmm. Good advice. I will be watching Corpse. I will not be watching Corpse. Uh, Watch Corpse Friend, you guys. Um, speaking of corpses, I'll go next. Um, yeah. So I was I was walking around my neighborhood earlier this week, and I crossed the street without looking, and I almost got hit by a car. 
and I looked and it was a smart car and my first thought was like that would have been humiliating <laughs> <laughs> like imagine if I had just gotten like I'm just imagining my like wrecked body be, like being just slammed by a smart car A it would have been my fault for not looking <laughs> B it would have been like it would have humiliated this like poor smart car driver who's probably a good person just like trying to like have as little impact on the environment <laughs> as possible and third like I'm imagining being in like in, the, in a fucking hospital with like tubes going into me and stuff and being like, yeah, a smart car did this to me. How embarrassing. <laughs> I hope that if I ever get hit by a car, it is a giant truck and not a smart so car. So your hill is, you I, shouldn't get hit don't, by a smart my, car. I just think it would be very embarrassing if you got hit by a smart car. That is, that is my hill. hill. That That's is my hill. hill. I will literally, I won't, I won't even die on it. It won't oh. even be strong enough to kill me, this hill. Well, if you die on it, we hope it wasn't by a smart car. <laughs> yes, exactly. So that's my hell. I told you it was dumb. It was really dumb. Okay, anyway, Tian, do you want to go? Um, yeah. Okay, yeah, I'll go. <laughs> um, since we were talking about couples, the hill that I will die on is that I really dislike and don't, I really hate when couples um, Facebook post each other, like, put, mm. right? Ooh, yeah. I really don't like when couples communicate via social media. Oh, I hate it. In a very specific, like, I'll have one person who... I think this is a personal pet peeve, who their boyfriend will comment on one of my photos and they will only like the boyfriend's comment and ignore the post. Ah. <laughs> Which ah, is funny. Fuck me out of your foreplay. I know. I'm like, this is... Oh, it's so weird. It, I don't want to be a part of this. <laughs> this is some gross weird... You're right. It is some gross weird foreplay that I'm witness to on my post. I don't like it. I don't like when... like. You should reply and be like, don't put this don't on put me. <laughs> don't put this on don't me. Include, don't, don't put this emotional don't labor this on, on me. me. My favorite way to respond to like dumbass social media posts is just the word unsubscribe. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I should start doing that. Or if that. there's like a back and forth in my Twitter mentions, not between romantic people. If people are like having some pedantic argument, I just respond to all. I'm like unsubscribe. <laughs> and then I mute the conversation. I mean, it's the, I mean, I'm not going as far as saying like if you if, if you're a significant other post something and you want to like post something cute underneath it that's fine but don't have it play out on someone else's yeah social media presence yeah okay that's fair all right kieran how about you well uh, dana you inspired me i was gonna say uh and uh i didn't like edward scissorhands Okay. Yeah, hmm. I saw it as a child. I don't like that film. I don't like the film. I don't like Johnny Depp because of this movie. Yeah. yeah. I don't like it. Be, I don't, wait, be, you don't like Johnny Depp because, because of, the of the movie? movie. Well, no, yes, I think this, first. This I've never dated. liked Johnny That's Depp. That's dated the other reasons. That's yeah, true. I mean, there's other reasons now. Yeah. But like, I was like, well, he kind of won me back when he was that weird pirate man. <laughs> but then it was like, <laughs> when he movie. was... I, <laughs> it's I, it's I, fun. It's a fun movie. It's a fun movie. I saw Edward Scissorhands when I was quite young, and I don't think I was ready for it. And I had night nightmares about it and I was like uh, and the I all I can remember to this day is like I was like why don't they just give this guy hands <laughs> he's got Vincent, scissors for hands Vincent Price died I know I was so I can I can still remember being so incredibly stressed out I was, was like the, the, en- the, enti- the entire <laughs> the entire thing I remember being like why can't they, they just need to give this guy hands and find this old man and I was like thank god and then he died and I was like what is this this is a nightmare this is a nightmare <laughs> oh that's it <laughs> well if it were Edward regular hands it wouldn't be a movie yeah Edward Regular. What did you call it? What the fuck? What is, what is, I don't know, man. What, what, come on, man. How is that? Come with scissors for hands? Yeah. It's insane. It's an, it's insane. How did you sell that movie? Yeah. Why, why? And then he'll have scissors for hands. I hate that film. It sounds like something that a person who had taken some mushrooms and wandered around Joshua Tree came up with. They were like, oh, a movie about a guy with scissor hands because they were looking at the trees and it was like, it looks like the trees are made of scissors. Anyway, that's that's how I think that movie he'd, happened. He'd probably finder you. <laughs> who would? Edward Scissorhands. Good callback. Good, yeah. good, terrible callback. <laughs> That's all the time we have for this week. Thank you, Tian, Dana, and Kieran. And thanks to Alyssa Mastermonico for calling in to talk about likability. And there will be more hysteria for you next week. I am from another planet. This nation is our Janet. But these girls got to ban it. Y2K email and scan it. Don't take no for an answer. Um, girl with a mouth that's overdone. Right, cause girls just want to have fun. So Annie, get your gun. Give them a gun.